RCA Radio, a podcast covering the latest news and challenges in regulatory, compliance, and quality assurance facing the life science industries. I'm your host, Brandon Miller. Today we'll be providing an outlook into the most important things happening in 2021 to the pharmaceutical industry. In this episode of RCA Radio, we are going to cover the importance of these pharmaceutical topics, some of the potential problems companies are dealing with in regards to these topics, and some of the alternatives to mitigate those problems. Today I'm joined by Steve Lynn, who is RCA's Executive VP of Pharmaceuticals. Welcome, Steve. Hi, Brendan. How are you today? Very good. How about yourself? Good, good. I'm here to hopefully walk you through some of the key themes that we see at RCA for the coming year. Um, Key themes, opportunities, issues, I think are a little bit of a mix of everything. Uh, I think, you know, the first thing to talk about, I think, is just the, the topic of speed. Think about what's happened in the in the pharma biotech and the vaccine world in the past year. We've brought multiple vaccines to market in an extremely fast period of time, short period of time, and they've got emergency authorization, not full approval, emergency authorization, but they've shown you know the safety and efficacy needed for either the FDA or the other health authorities in the world to give them the approval to get onto the market or the authorization. So think about that. The speed is an issue because other companies thinking about it, how can they decrease their cycle time to market? I mean, it's just something people have been working on for a while and now we have companies that have proven it. I think, for instance, in some of the vaccine manufacturers, it's not something they just came with, uh, came up and developed on the fly. They've been working in these technologies and these you know, various platforms, RNA platforms, to get to do what they needed to do. And then they just hit the, you know, the kind of the speed button. So there was a lot of pre-work done. But also there's also you thinking about the opportunities on how to apply what has been done to get these products to market not only from the manufacturing side but from the development from the development side and then also into the, uh, the to the regulatory and legal side so <laughs> what the regulators have done so it's not only an opportunity for the for the industry ourselves how can we apply some of these things and make them you know work for us and decrease cycle time and, ass- and make sure we can still uh, you know, supply safe and effective products, but also on the regulator side is, what have they done? How did they do it? Why did they do it a certain way, and how can they apply that? Kind of rolls back into like the overall knowledge management and so forth. So I think that is definitely something to look for. Um, and you know, but you think about the flip side of that thing, there's potential problems. If you go too fast, that's when the errors happen. So how fast is too fast? and stuff like that. So these are things we have to think about and think about, you know, can staying compliant, you know, because you still have your laws, regulations, rules, guidances, and so forth that you have to adhere to. And so all of those things have to come into play. It's not a free-for-all by any means. It has to be something you do in a diligent manner, manner, uh, and then you go, you know, what what can you do? And I think there are lessons learned that will come out in the year. Um, That's why I made that, you know, the first thing I talked about. Yeah, so balance speed between quality. Exactly, exactly. But that definitely is going to be a lot of lessons learned, I think, that can be applied across the industry. That hopefully, I mean, I mean, getting these vaccines to market and developing and then getting them to market and getting them in people's arms and actually they're, they're safe and effective, I mean, it's amazing how fast they did that. So 
how can you think coming out of that? How do we apply that to other things? And is it possible to apply with other, to other things, knowing that you know these these manufacturers had a lot of this pre-work development work probably done ahead of time? Um, they had been working on it for years, so it's something to think about. I think the the second thing I think for another key theme. Um, now these are not in any order whatsoever. Um, the idea of virtual inspections has not gone away. We've talked about this on previous podcasts and blogs, but it's not going away. And why do I say that? I mean, specific other regulators around the world are starting to use video technology to do actual virtual inspections. The FDA up until right now said they're doing kind of virtual assessments, but they're saying the virtually it will never replace an inspection. While I agree with that, it's also created a massive backlog in inspections from the FDA perspective. Um, you look at the number of uh, inspections the FDA did in 2019 versus 2020, it's pretty startling. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but um, it is, you know, you could tell that the inspections have gone down. We have a pandemic in place. So we're talking about you know, not only FDA surveillance inspections where they go out and check the facility, but also on the pre-approval side where products are trying to come to market. Um, they, there's a backlog of that. Now they're starting to do a lot of the pre-approval inspections. So they've, you know, their uh, current acting center director for Cedar sent a tweet that they're trying to, they're starting to actively do pre-approvals for various applications. I think she said in China and then it's going to India would be next. Um, of course, those are two countries where a lot of either our active ingredients or drug substance or the drug product is either coming from one or the other, uh, a great percentage wise. Um, so they're starting there. So that's a good sign. Um, but with the pandemic still here, and we have you know, not everybody's vaccinated uh, at this point. And then of course the whole topic of various strains of the, the COVID virus coming out, whether it be the South, South Africa strain, the UK strain, wherever it may be, who knows what's next? Cause you know, these things can definitely mutate fast. And uh, uh, so things that so we got all that. So the pandemic's not going away. So yeah, the regulars have to do inspections because legally they have to do it to get, for instance, like get to get a product to market. Um, but then you, again, on the other side of the surveillance side, you have companies that maybe received a warning letter a year or two ago, sometimes three years ago. They need to have an inspection to be able to start producing or actually if they have applications to get those applications approved because they're in what's called an official action indicated status, which means, you know, basically nothing they're manufacturing um, if it's a product, you know, new product or something like, or if they have a change in play, sometimes they won't get approval until you get an inspection. So, of course, the FDA would, you know, I mean, is probably getting a significant amount of pressure from industry, but also there was a recent GAO study that was done putting pressure on the FDA to figure out how to do inspections and asking for a plan. So I think the virtual inspection is something that will come to play sooner rather than later because inspections need to be done and they need to figure it out. Now, I agree with the FDA. Uh, there's nothing to replace a face-to-face on-site inspection. But in these extreme uncertain times, something has to be done. And the FDA has publicly said that they're working on some kind of guidance about virtual inspections. But again, they have to make sure they're going to do it in a standardized manner so they're not kind of put back in, you know, various industry lawyers, wherever saying, or they're being arbitrary and capricious. 
So a lot of due diligence ahead of time needs to come into play on the agency side to make sure this is done right and done standardized across the industry so you're comparing apples to apples and so forth so you're not doing it differently. So I think in the, in the coming months we're going to see something. So getting ready for a virtual inspection is still a hot topic. Uh, if you're a manufacturer or clinical site or wherever kind of inspection that's going to happen, think about how that would play out, whether it be you know having video technology available, cell phone cameras, 360 kind of cameras, uh, like the uh, Avatar software, stuff like that, making sure that is ready to go, checking your Wi-Fi around the whole the entire facility or clinical site, wherever you may be, to make sure there's strong signals. Um, because, you know, if the Wi-Fi signal is weak and then the investigator can't see what they need to see, then you have problems. Um, you don't want to have problems in inspections. You want it to run smooth. So those are some of the things. So virtual inspections aren't going away. Moving on, another hot topic that I think it's been, this has been hot for a couple of years and it's going to stay hot, is, is cellular and gene, and gene therapy. The human genome was, project was done, just the way things have you know, moved in our industry, the biotech industry over the years is amazing. So where we are now where you have true personalized medicine coming out of companies where, you know, you take somebody's, you know, blood and you centrifuge it down in some kind of phoresis, leukophoresis, plasmapheresis, whatever it may be, takes it into a manufacturing site and then they genetically, through a viral vector or a microbial vector, put something in and then they reinfuse it back into that same patient, again, personalized medicine, to cure or to treat a certain disease state is amazing how they're doing that now. So I think that's going to continue as more and more money has been put in uh, investment-wise to do more and more research and development across the entire world. Uh, We're rapidly uh, expanding our knowledge around this. So then moving forward, I think in our industry, it's, you know, as we get to that through the development, you have something that could be a viable product. How do you develop and commercialize that? So how do you go from, you know, an R&D mindset to a more kind of commercial regimented GMP mindset, as I call it. So there's some learning curves for some companies there. How do you get in that regulated environment? How do you apply GMPs? We've helped a lot of companies on how to do this and get ready for that commercial market, taking it, you know, from development product, R&D mindset, more loose kind of, you know, kind of the experimentation kind of mindset. You know, things happen, you learn from it, you try something else to a more regimented, standardized, continual kind of improving mindset on the GMP side where you have uh, regimented processes in place and you have regimented record record policies and documentation you have to do. It's going to be amazing, I think, what's going to be coming up in the in the years ahead. Um, but again, in our regulated world, we got to figure out how do we do it right? How do we do it, you know, under a GMP condition um, so we don't actually hurt patients that we're trying to help? And I think another topic, I mean, I think it's still something in psychology, it's what old is new and what new is old kind of thing, is facility modernization. Um, it's not going away. I mean... This year alone with the pandemic, there's been a lot of, you know, articles in the popular press, the trade press, discussions with industry groups about, you know, bringing more manufacturing back to the United States, but also other areas of the world. 
um, whether it be Europe or Australia or wherever it may be, um, out of, you know, so it's more kind of a diverse kind of supply chain where, you know, the drugs or the drug substance or the active ingredients or the raw materials aren't being supplied by just one country or one area of the world. So diversification, which that means if they're going to do that, you know, think about what does the facilities look like? So is it a new facility? Are you going to go from like, you know, that greenfield kind of build it from the ground up, which takes years? Or are you going to do a brownfield where you have you retrofit an older facility, which some, some companies companies have done um, and how do you do that and again we've, we've helped a lot of companies with that as well but it, the other aspect is you know companies that have you know currently manufacturing in a facility um, say you are a facility out west or in the midwest or on the east coast whatever you are in the United States or around the world you have to continually invest in your facilities or things start to break down now, for instance you you got the proverbial old Nelly horse inside your facility that this thing is your money maker and you run it all the time. Say it's a packaging line or a filling line or something like that. And you run it and you run it and you run it. Eventually old Nelly's gonna break down. So when old Nelly breaks down, then all of a sudden your profit stream breaks down. And you don't want your profit stream to break down because you know you gotta make a profit. You know, we're here to help patients, but you're also, you're a business. I mean, it is what it is. You've got to make money. So you have to invest. You have to think about and, you know, proactively step back and think about how do you, where do you need to invest? How do you need to invest? What do you need to do? What kind of, for instance, like, you know, looking at your preventative maintenance programs. Is the preventative maintenance program sound? Is it risk-based? Does it do what it needs to do? And ultimately, does it ensure you know, are able to continually supply whatever product that you're making for whatever patient population on a routine basis? Again, I think you know it's something that's not going away. It's still extremely important whether you're building a new facility and doing it right, or you're retrofitting another facility from a brownfield, or you have a current facility that's actually actively producing something for the whatever market, whether it be the US market, European market, Chinese market, wherever you are, what are you doing to make sure that not only your building, like your building roof doesn't leak, but also that your, you know, process equipment, utilities and so forth are maintained and whether you either buy new, improve, or through your maintenance program ensure that they keep producing or keep doing what they need to do. And you make old Nelly happy so old Nelly can make you some money. Again, what's old is new, going back to the 80s, for God's sakes, this data integrity is not going away. Uh, it's a global issue. Firms are, you know, still trying to, I mean, a lot of companies now where they have a good quality culture in place, they're trying to put, make sure they have a good data governance system to think about that, uh, get that in place. So what does that mean? Um, again, help. we've helped a lot of companies with that, but also companies, I mean, from the compliance aspect, knowing that most data integrity issues are not intentional. I mean, there, of course, there are a lot, there are bad actors out there, which is another topic. But then how do you build your process, your processes that are within your system so you can get good integrity within your data? You think about it for a second, you step back and say, you know what? Data is actually your product. Now, it's a, it's a metaphorical product. Uh, but you, know, you actually have product, but whatever you're producing, gel, ointment, <laughs> sterile injectable, pill, capsule, whatever that may be, how do you know that that product has what it needs and is going to be safe and effective and it's going to have, you know, whatever therapeutic effect that it's targeted to do for whatever patient population? How are you assured that that's going to do? Well, you think about it, it's your data that tells you that. 
and it's, for instance, you think about the, the critical quality attributes that your R&D people have painstakingly got to that point where they say, here are our critical quality attributes, and here are our key process parameters to ensure that we get whatever quality attributes we need. And here is the data that shows us that. And then here is what the product, you know, whether it be in process kind of testing or do, or here is the final product. We know it's fit for use for whatever patient population, whatever indication we're going to treat based on the data. That's what I'm trying to get the concept of the data can, is your product. So you want to be assured that there's integrity in that data. So it's not something, you know, either somebody made up or could somebody could have messed up or it came out of, you know, something, you know, whatever automated system that's given you this data, whether it be online monitoring or some kind of other monitoring system, whether it be like, for instance, your, your facilities, going back to your BMS, your building management systems, how do you assure that that data is sound and can get you what you want? So I think you know, data integrity is not going away. Something I think we're going to deal with uh, for years. Now, what makes the headlines in the data integrity is the you know the bad actors, the people that are falsifying data. So that will always that's always going to make make headlines. But it's the the I call it the other 80%. It's not the bad actors. It's how do you build the right processes within your system to assure that you get the right data that shows that your product is safe and effective. Because if you get it and we say you put an application in or you, can you supplement some kind of application, you make a change to something and the data is not there, uh, then you lose trust with the various regulators and that's the last thing you want to do. Moving on to a, the last couple ones, I think the, the idea of the modern quality professional. So what am I mean? So things in our industry, as we've talked about, are changing, and they're changing by the day. And the quality professional has to change by the day. I mean, going from, I mean, originally you think about the quality, but kind of like a checklist mentality, an audit approach. Now, don't get me wrong. Both are highly valuable in their own right, how they're used. I mean, an audit in and of itself, I can, you know, it's a key improvement mechanism for companies and also I would say the checklist as well I mean that's where you get a lot of the ideas of you know standardization think about in another industry the aviation industry what if the pilots do before they do they, they get in the plane and they take off with 100 people or 200 people or whatever it may be or even one person and the, they go through a standardized checklist to make sure everything you know, somehow some way through risk-based thinking they've said these are the critical things I need to check every time I get it I take off before I take off so the thing I think that's their and going back to the modern quality professional it's, it's kind of like bringing it all together looking at the entire system not just what's in front of your nose for instance you take the idea of the modern quality professional doing investigations you have a problem you need to investigate why it happened how do you correct it how do you prevent it of course and then also looking at anything about the overall system could this problem have happened at somewhere else somewhere else within the facility or within our overall pharmaceutical quality system which is your, all of your operations soup to nuts supply chain and all that so thinking you know more holistically having the critical thinking that you need to do so you know kind of asking the what else um, not just you know again focusing on what's in front of your nose but also thinking about what else to ensure that you don't have other problems in the future and also, I mean, kind of like reoccurring, make sure something's not going to reoccur, and that goes into the prevention. Another thing with, with modern quality professional, I think it, it goes into the aspect of you don't have 
just intelligence, but you have to have emotional intelligence, the societal intelligence, because collaboration, working with other people, not just quality. So, because you know, the quality, the, the old quality mindset, or people who thought about quality as almost like the policeman. Quality people aren't the policemen. It's a collaborative function to assure quality within your organization. So cross-functional collaboration, whether it be working with your operations colleagues, your business colleagues, or whatever. Companies that are going to take it to the next level, in my opinion, are going to have that, that core key collaboration in place where they're sharing ideas. They're not siloing themselves off into the organizational units like quality versus operations versus supply chain or whatever it may be. They're breaking down that si those silos. Now, organizational silos are something that are always going to happen. I mean, you, know, you get a group of professionals together, think like a group of lawyers, group of engineers, group of compliance people, group of, you know, R&D people. They're going to, you know, it's just a human tendency to break off into your own organizational kind of, you know, your own group. But then you have to think about that. The Mullen Quality Professional has to think about that and say, well, what else? How do we break that down to get more collaboration? Because through collaboration, more ideas are shared, which leads to more improvement, which leads overall in our world to more innovation, and then we'll lead to better products going to the patients that want need to des and deserve them. Uh, Couple other things to mention: big data in the in the digital revolution. You know, I mean, we just talked about the modern quality professional. Another aspect of that is how to take all the data that's coming at us and, and turn it into knowledge. Uh, so that's something to think about. But also, I mean, overall, if on the whole industry side, I think a lot of people think right now like big data and so forth. They, the idea goes to the clinical side of thing, but it's not just the clinical side of things. It's crossed all the GXPs, whether it be clinical or the manufacturing or supply chain. We're collecting data everywhere, whether it be you put in an automated system that you know in a manufacturing unit that's monitoring you know the, the process parameters on a certain manufacturing line, a filling line, or a, or a packaging line or whatever it may be, you're producing a lot of data. Or, you know, in the clinical side, all the trials that you're doing and how you're monitoring patient outcomes and so forth and, and in all the different areas you can collect data. To the supply chain, you know, think about your your temperature probes that are within your thing and you're tracking all that data, tracking, you know, cycle times of shipping, you're tracking shippers, you're tracking where your trucks are sometimes. So you have all this data and it, it's just coming at us. So that, you know, that I call it the digital revolution is figuring out how do you use all that data? How do you, number one, you know, collect it, you know, kind of assess it and then kind of, you know, prioritize it and then use it to your advantage to whereas you can use that for, you know, ensure quality or compliance, which equals can yields quality, making sure you have quality product services and so forth. But also you know, on the innovation side, how do you use that to innovate? How do you use that to improve? But also at the same time, it's how are you assured that you're not missing something? So for instance, if you have, for instance, an FDA inspection and they happen upon a problem, you show them your investigation, you show them what you've done, you find out that there's a, some kind of database or some kind of area where you've collected a lot of data that had you looked at that, this wouldn't have been a problem, say, and not led to a recall. So what I'm saying is ensuring that you, the data you're collecting, you're somehow looking at it and making sure it's not going to point to a problem that exists that could exist or something that gets you in trouble in the future. So that's from the compliance standpoint. But assure that you're using it you know, overall to make sure your products are safe. So is it something like, for instance, God forbid something gets released to the market that you could have prevented? And 
and that could have been prevented because you could have should have looked at some data element within some system that would have pointed to a problem sometimes a long time before that that could have prevented that. That's what we want to avoid. So those safety signals, as I call them. Think about safety signals on the, the, you know, the clinical side, the, uh, the manufacturing operation side. Just they think of it like they look at safety signals on the, the pharmacovigilance side of thing, on the post-market side that they're looking for. How do you separate the noise from what's important? Um, and how do you assure that you're looking at everything that you need to look at? So there's some aspects that come to mind when I'm thinking about data in, in digital areas. And this kind of all rolls into another idea that's another, I can call it what's old is new, is knowledge management. So how do we not only capture, process, and assess and utilize data, but also how do we capture, process, assess, and utilize our own workforce's knowledge? It's a big subject. And how do you build you know, a collaborative quality culture from all of that where experience and knowledge is shared and not just stuck in a silo like I was talking about before? Also, the idea around a knowledge management is, you know, whether we like it or not, it is here. We have an aging workforce. And, of course, we have a lot of young folks as well. But think about the folks in our industry, and I'm sure everybody that's listening knows somebody that's been in the industry for, you know, 30, 40 years that's about to retire. And when that sage walks out of that organization, whether it be a corporate organization or a manufacturing unit or a clinical site or wherever that may be, there is going to be a gap of knowledge that they're going to take with them. So thinking from the CAM perspective, how do you capture 40 years worth of experience? How do you do that? How do you use that information? Is it just interviews? Well, if you do an interview, is this interview like we're doing right now, is it something that just gets recorded and put up on a shared drive and then nobody ever goes back and listens to it? But how do you use that? How do you pull different nuggets of information, nuggets of knowledge out to, you know, that you can use and go back to? Because, you know, you don't want to repeat, you know, have repeat incidents or issues. For instance, you have a big issue that this person, this, you know, 40-year expert has been worked on something, this huge problem. You don't want to have to, you know, he leaves or he or she leaves. You don't want to have to repeat, you know, have history repeat itself. So how do you capture that, use it, and, and make sure it works for you? And then finally, I guess the last topic, I think it's still hot, is, is pharmacy compounding here in the United States. Um, so it's a hot topic that's not going anywhere. You think during the pandemic, FDA has allowed compounding of you know, various approved products. You know, there's rules and stuff around that, but means we have you know a lot of different products are being compounded that weren't compounded before. So the quality in pharmacy compounding is something that you know we've helped with before. We'll continue to help with it here at RCA. But also, I mean, thinking about companies, you got to think about how are they assuring with a, you know with a capital A with a final with an exclamation after the you know after it. How are they assuring quality? to make sure you know what, what you're doing, all the different areas that you use within your quality system to not only control it, but assure it. So think about, you know, if you're doing sterile compounding, your environmental monitoring, your particulates, you know, your non-viables and viables, how are you using that? Where are you putting those probes? Or are you assured that you're ensuring that those probes are in the right place and capturing what they did? Or are you covering them up? Or are you putting them in a the corner where they're not gonna do what they need to do? going into your actual your quality system documentation and so forth, are you doing thorough, you know, complete and thorough investigations? Are those investigations leading to complete and thorough CAPAS, corrective and preventative actions? Are you not seeing those problems repeat themselves? If you are, what are you doing about it? Um, 
So thinking about your systems overall, your quality system, and your overall how are, with all the elements within that. So to ensure you get a quality product to that patient, whatever it may be, whatever that my product may be. So Brandon, those are some ideas I had. Um, hope they resonate with our listeners. Um, and then, you know, moving forward, listeners have any questions or comments, feel free to reach out to me um, and we'd be happy help to help them with any issues they have in the future. Thank you so much, Steve, for your time and sharing all of those thoughts. Do you have anything, uh, any final thoughts you want to share with our listeners before we wrap this up? In our industry, we're continually changing, as other industries are. So it's how do we adapt, improvise, overcome, or whatever it is. So I think that's it's the thing. We're, I mean, we're going to see things changing more and more and more, like we talked about with the, the cellular and gene therapies. All right. Well, thank you for your time going over all these important pharmaceutical things happening in 2021. And thank you to our listeners for tuning into this episode of RCA Radio. Be sure to subscribe to be the first to know when we upload the next episode. And thank you and have a nice day.